Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ineash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber. And I'm Chase Barkley. Welcome back, Chase. Hi, Hello. Chase. Thank you. So today we are going to talk about uh, something that we have run across recently, how to have, what to do when you are in an argument and people start getting emotional. Like, how recently do you handle as that? in our entire lives. The what, what? You said like it happened recently, like, oh yeah, this just happened like last month. Well, like, and, it's been happening. and the month before that and yeah, <laughs> constantly. But I mean, in both sides, like both if you're, intra, intra, this is the word you really like, interlocutor? 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 I don't know if I like, I, I use that word. I'm not particularly attached to it. Okay. I first heard you using it like, I've seen it in text before, but the first time I heard it's come out of someone's mouth, it was you. And I was like, oh, that's so, neat. I guess maybe the person you're in dialogue with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that's so many syllables. No, I know. I, I like that word. Yeah. I just hadn't heard it used before in real life. I'm lazy. I like short words or like less syllables, I guess. I feel like the answer to that question depends a lot on what your goal is. Like, what is your goal in talking to this person? Because depending on who they are, the answer, right answer might be just stop. Yes. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's usually the right answer. If well, it's if it's something you don't particularly you care, care for. about. You're, yeah. Right. So we'd, we'd have to be more specific as in when it's uh, like you're at your local rationality meetup and you start getting into something and it gets heated. Then then what ha- what do you do? So really quick, the specific prompt is how to handle emotionally charged arguments? Yeah. Okay. So argument you have to have. You're in it. Like- I mean, you don't have to have the argument, but you don't, you don't want to just necessarily uh, cut off contact with this person. And you probably might be in a room with them for a little longer. Right. Yeah. It's not random person on the street that can be like, whatever, chump, I'm out of here. Uh, you mentioned the rationality meetup. Did this happen at the at the last meetup and I missed it? I don't think at the last meetup, but every now and then, you know, things can get a touching a nerve. Yeah. Which is usually good. Like, yeah. It usually brings up fun. stuff that doesn't otherwise get bring up, brought up. That's not the kind of emotional challenge I have a problem with. I think it's like, I mean, it's cool to be emotionally driven by your position if, if it's something that you care about, as long as you're doing it in a good way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we talked, one of our earlier episodes was with um, Jason, who had this position that he thought it would be morally desirable to drive the earth into the sun if he could and kill everybody. And I thought that was a pretty horrible thing to believe. And like, just the idea that like, I don't know if he actually believed that. I think it's just something like people say to be edgy. I think I might've said that before, but to the sense that if I take him at his word, he wants to kill me and people I care about. Like that's a horrible thing, but yeah. I can have the conversation, right? But I, I, he I think he wants to kill you in the abstract sense. That's my point. It's like, he doesn't really, he believes it, but only on paper. Right. Like he wouldn't murder you, but if he had the option to make all humans stop existing, he would take it. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm skeptical that he actually even believed it that much, but somebody does. Yeah. So yeah. All right. There was a point where I would have agreed with that, so it's certainly possible. That's weird. Mm. It's, I mean, you know, even if I don't want to live, like I don't want to kill people that are like nice that I care about. It's the whole uh, generalizing to to everyone. Like all of humanity is awful. Life is pain. Anyone who says otherwise is selling you something. And so, why would you want to continue pain? It's already been going on for however many millennia. Just keep the cycle of horror going. No, stop it all right now. Hmm. All right. Would I see have where you're been my reasoning back then. I see I see I see <laughs> what you're saying. And I guess yeah, if you're coming from a certain perspective, you know, I could see how that line of reasoning would be seductive to some states of mind. Not not that I'm saying Jason actually thinks this. Maybe he was just being edgy or whatever, but he, he kind of got the feeling he was at least a little bit uh sincere. Sure. And yeah, I don't want to call him out and not believing what he said he believed. I just I'm sure I've met people who would endorse that but not actually do anything about it, mm-hmm. right? Like that I don't know. Anyway, that's sort of 
I'm giving that as an example of a time where I was emotionally charged in an argument, but I don't feel like it was a problem. No. So, like, it certainly wasn't the first exposure. When you guys, when when you pitched having him on to talk about this, I was like, are you fucking kidding? This guy wants to kill everybody? Um, so I did have an, an initial knee-jerk reaction, but then we had a couple days to prep for the episode, and I was able to abstract myself from my feelings on it, which is, I think, what you're supposed to do if it's something that you feel like your emotions are getting in the way of your position. Like, I... Actually, this is one technique I've been wanting to bring up forever Ooh, on the show and in, in life because, and I haven't actually had the chance to do this in real life other than like in my head. But like if we're talking about something, man, it'd be fun to do a mock example that if we disagreed on anything that we could argue about, then we could, man, is that worth doing? If you think there's something that we disagree about strongly, then sure. Mm. I mean, depending on how much we want to pause the recording. Luckily, we have an amazing sound editor, Kyle, who will be happy to cut all this shit. Okay, so. cool. Yeah, so depending on how much you want to pause that, I mean, just just give me something. I can probably argue it to a reasonable level. Let me grab... Um, <laughs> Julia Galef has an open questions project. Oh, yeah. There's only 13 of them, and none of them are very emotionally charged. Basically, the kind of things like... I saw uh, a lot more than that in the Facebook thread. Oh, that was a different thing. Oh, that was a uh, different least, thing. Uh, well, I mean, that, maybe she's going to add those to this list. This is on her website. Basically, she's looking for important open questions that like well-informed, sensible people disagree about, which is kind of a fun thing to yeah. do. And I think typically, uh, so I was going to grab one of these as an example, but none of them are very interesting, um, or at least interesting in the sense that I can imagine anyone caring enough to like emotionally care about the answer right now. Well, I mean, we could bring up something that I saw people get heated over once. Uh, how do we feel about Jamie and Cersei? All the hearts. I'm making the little heart hand sign right now for people who can't see. Oh. I don't know who that is. Yeah. So, you, oh, you yeah. don't watch Game of Thrones? Oh, good. You can hey, be, you can be exposed to this, this idea. Like half hour ago? He no. said he never I seen an episode. I have not watched I it. I thought you just weren't current. No. no. Zero. Oh. oh, okay. All right. It's cool if you like fantasy stuff. Um, so Yeah, yeah it looks good. We, we can try this Jamie out. Jamie and Cersei have an awesome relationship on the show, and they're also brother and sister. Except for the time that like he raped her and she sort of forced herself on him. They have a weird dynamic later on, but you know, it's awesome for story time. So the, <laughs> all right, here's, here's, here's the, the 10 second version. They are, it's like whatever middle ages, technology, fantasy standard setup. They are a rich noble family and they are brother and sister and they fuck all the time and have kids together. So given that like three or four of them turn out to have lots of problems, that sort of Actually, endorses only one of the three. Well, which you still don't want 33% of your population being fucked up. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah. no, th th this was a bad idea on a genetic level. I'm not trying to defend that at My all. My math is wrong. You're right. I forgot that I thought there are more kids and I thought that the other ones had problems. But other than being like a pushover, which probably isn't a problem, it's just not a good king. Yeah. They did fine and that girl just died. So, oh, spoiler alert. Everybody <laughs> dies in Game of Thrones. She died last year. That's past the statute of limitations. It is. No, the, the, okay. So, uh, I would never in real life condone that sort of relationship. Uh, but the question came up if, uh, two consenting adults wanted to have relations and, uh, were sterile and they were brother and sister, is that still morally repugnant? Should they be prevented should they be prevented from doing that or are they grown ass adults that can make whatever decisions they want as long as they don't bring children into the is world? This purely hypothetical in the real world because there's not like sterility police we have. Right. Uh, it, in, in, hypothetically, they, they okay. are sterilized for purposes of the, this sure. thought experiment. Of the question, yeah. yeah. So this was actually, the first time I encountered this was when I was in my teens listening to philosophy lectures on CD back when I was hipster and had CDs. Um, <laughs> 
I remember this was brought up as an example of like the yuck reaction where people disagree with things because it's yucky, mm-hmm. um, which turns out to like underlie most opposition to things like gay marriage mm-hmm. or I guess not even like, well, the marriage is part of it, but they disagree with that only because it involves gay sex and that's what's icky to people. Right. So they disagree with it for that reason. So I liked it as an inoculation for getting you primed on things to like realize that ickiness isn't a good enough reason to disregard, disregard an argument. So... I was surprised that we had somebody at the meetup who was vehemently against it. Mm-hmm. And tell me if I'm strawmanning his position, but it was like, there's a power imbalance. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where the power balance took place in this relationship. Well, uh, he was taken back to childhood. Uh, if you're having sex with your sibling? Yes, that uh, in family structures, there's always power imbalances. And generally, the older sibling having a lot more power than the younger one and can coerce them into things weren't jamie and cersei twins yes they were so would that invalidate his position completely uh no not necessarily like one can one well we weren't talking about jamie and cersei specifically i don't think one could still have more power than the other especially in the medieval society the males usually have uh uh, more favor from the father so in that was actually my main counterpoint to his argument which i thought was weird was that there's a power imbalance in every relationship yes like he's his argument he admitted extends to like dating your boss or like your senior coworker, Mm -hmm. uh, because they have higher status than you at work which is interesting so Uh, uh, actually i i kind of want to stop because we aren't necessarily doing the incest argument right now right we're just bringing it up as an example of something that gets people emotionally charged. I am, but I want to just point out why I felt his argument was stupid. Oh. Because there's, there's a power imbalance <laughs> in literally every relationship unless you have, like, the same physical feats and strength. So, like... <laughs> if you chose the same feats when you leveled up? Well, I mean, like... Uh, I mean, we could maybe... I, I, know, I know what you meant. Yeah, yes. so, yeah exactly. If you just the, your specific the word way. choice was, yeah. was amusing to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, unless me and my girlfriend can bench press the same and have, like, the same degree of fighting ability, there's a power imbalance, right? And, like, so he sounds like he's against basically every relationship where you're not measuring very carefully like your body weight and things like that and i don't think he's making that argument but it sounds like he is i i know i don't think he was making that specifically i think that there and i kind of see his point on this that there is a very specific type of power imbalance that comes in family relationships that is and can also with uh like boss boss and underling relationships is that the right term underling yes minion Minion. (laughs) (laughs) worker Uh, yeah uh yeah okay so it's specifically social power not physical power yeah and and more so the things that go on in families okay yeah so i guess for anybody who's feeling like grossly offended at like the idea of incest i'm not i'm not super pro incest but i for the sake of making an argument the the comeback is like people will say well no their kids will turn out messed up and then you reply well no they're both sterile they they checked they literally can't have kids um okay, well, you know, what if the families get upset about it? Like, their families are dead. There's no one to get upset about this. Like, once you knock down all their oppositions, you find that their true reason is that they think it's gross. Mm -hmm. And that is the way to get, I think, into uh, a place where you can talk about it and kind of be free of emotion or at least know what you're talking about. And that's really the, the, the technique is to try and figure out what you're actually disagreeing about of course and well it, it sounds obvious but it's not i mean it's very hard to do it's hard to do but it's also hard to like even sometimes realize that's what you're like that you're not arguing what you think you care about or what you actually think you're talking about so like the the trump border wall for between the u.s and mexico that they want to put up that's not really about keeping immigrants out they'll say it is and they'll fight that but then if you point out be like you know a lot of them come over by boats and walls are not like impossible to get around they'll say, well, it's still worth it or something, right? They're not going to say, oh, I never thought of the idea that they could stick boats. It's probably not worth $24 billion. So they're, they don't really care about 
uh, well, they, they on paper seem to care about keeping immigrant illegal immigrants out of the country, but their real goal in putting the wall up, I guess, is just like as a gesture saying we're not it for it, mm-hmm. you know, which you think a sign would do fine or whatever. But, but um, do you think that if you are like emotionally, uh, getting emotionally involved in something and you feel yourself getting upset, the hard part is even feeling yourself getting upset, but do you think you would be able to, at that point, get into, uh, those sorts of what is our core disagreement? So the way that I would do that, A, is yeah, you have to have some level of mindfulness to know when you're being, when you're feeling upset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're paying attention to how you're thinking and what you're thinking, then that should be kind of become apparent. Like, man, I'm getting annoyed at this. Okay, hold on. Let me take a breath. All right, here's what I want to do. And then you grab a piece of paper and you write down the border wall will keep out immigrants. And you put that on the table between you and the person you're talking with. Mm-hmm. And then you're talking about the the, the proposition on the paper. You're not talking about a belief you have in your head. So it feels less like a personal attack. And I feel like that, so I've done that like in my head. I haven't actually written out a belief yet, but it'd be fun to do that in a real, yeah, that's a really in a real good idea. In real I argument. can think Brilliant of arguments idea. where that would that, have helped. That was Julia Galef's. That's why I, that's why she came up earlier when I was looking up her, uh, her um, open questions project. Julia Galef's the bomb. She's awesome. So I don't know if that originated with her or not, but that's where I first heard it. But yeah, then that way you have a distance between you and the belief. Cause then it's not your belief. It's, it's just right there on the table. That's mm-hmm. what you're talking about. And whether that rises or falls doesn't like when people are defending their beliefs, they feel like they're defending themselves. This kind of gets rid of that. So I think it's an awesome way to go about it. And I don't know if it would work. Like I think lot many times it is very hard to tell when you are getting, well, it can be hard to tell if you are getting emotionally involved in something. And for that, it really is useful to have a friend that can, point that out to you be like hey dude you're you're kind of getting charged up about this but the worst problem is lots of times when i'm getting charged up about something i don't care that i'm charged up i'm like yes i am and for good reason sir allow me to continue with the fisticuffs (laughs) and i think uh by proxy even that that paper method helps solve just a little bit of that because it allows you to by proxy measure how far off the original topic you've gotten Mm. which maybe at least sometimes is a good measurement of how emotionally involved you've gotten like i think it's a decent proxy measurement because a lot of the time it gets wildly off topic it really does and so that's what i like about it too is then you have it concrete Mm -hmm. and then when they say well look i just want to stop the drug flow coming in from mexico it's like ah but that's a different thing than what we're talking about here do you want us to do a new piece of paper we're talking about specifically whether this will keep people out not whether or not it'll stop the drug traffic so it it helps keep the conversation grounded it helps you keep your eye on the ball um, but yeah, having somebody be able to point out if you're getting charged is good. And then being the kind of person that can take that proactively is good. And if you're the kind of person, if someone pointed out, Hey, you're being charged in this argument and they're like, fuck off. Then mm-hmm. like, that's not the kind of person that you're going to have a good emotional argument with. Right. I, yeah, I, <laughs> I may not have been the best person to have good emotional arguments with in the past. I, I personally, I think one of the best things you can possibly do is just walk away for a while. You, because when you're in the moment, you just want to hit right back with something and it not necessarily even think it through very well, which can get you in trouble as well. Uh, especially while recording. Especially, <laughs> yes. But I, I, I think there needs to start because it, right now there's a social norm that if you got up and walked away, it's because you got all huffy and you have lost. And oh man, look at the guy that just lost control. He couldn't even stay at the table. And I think would really, really would be good to start having it change to be like, oh, look at how much self-control he has. He knows now is a good time to step away, take five minutes to walk around and and regain composure and think through things. Because that more than anything else, there are many times I wish I would have just been like, you know what? I'm going to step away from the keyboard for two hours and then come back uh, after I've had some time to think about this 
Yeah, I think that endorsing that sort of social convention would be super desirable. Because, yeah, like, if you felt like you're going to lose face and thus forfeit the argument if you get up from the table or whatever, then you have an incentive not to. And then you just keep things keep spiraling. But, again, that requires an honest interlocutor or person you're discussing this with. And it also can be hard if you're into it. Yeah, if you're, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I also kind of enjoy that sort of thing. I, I, I've, I've called it, I mean, internet fisticuffs or like a lot of times debate. The point of debate isn't to get to a answer. The point of debate, debate is to beat the other guy. It's verbal boxing. And I really enjoy watching verbal boxing. <laughs> I would listen to the Intelligence Squared debates all the time, just all sorts of shit. But that is not trying to find truth. And there's been, an, there's awesome ways to try to collaborate with someone to get to truth. But debate is not one of those ways. Right. Debate is for show. Yes. And, and it's fun. Well, it's fun. Like, I've, I've seen some Intelligence Squared debates, and it's fun watching your side get in a really good jab at the other side. <laughs> yeah. And I use boxing terminology on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if, if you're right, but that's not productive, and that's kind of not what we're talking about, right? Yeah. So, like, a discussion's different. I mean, you're but you can get well, sucked into that. I was going to say, you're going to hold on. You're going to have to just, just for me, explain that just a little bit. Like, I don't know if. I'm not sure I could point out the difference between someone debating and someone having a discussion, assuming they're both relatively civil and both relatively, you know, reasonable. At the risk of sounding pedantic, I'll say one is in front of an audience and one's not. Okay. So, like, when you're watching Peter Singer debate Dinesh D'Souza on the problem of evil, they're not doing this over coffee. They're doing this in front of an audience, right? So, okay. uh, that's sort of what I meant. Okay, because I was going to say, like, f for me debate as a, you know, as a, a way to settle disagreements, find disagreements and work on them is the best way I know, but yeah. maybe I shouldn't be calling that debate. I, no. I'm not a big fan of like deciding what labels you can use for words or not, but it's mm, true. Like, sure. if, but if, if that heard, label is ambiguous, like argue is a good word, but that has a negative connotation. Yeah, so does. discuss. I've heard it called a uh, dialectic before, uh, which is weird. Uh, I've, there's another term collaborative, uh, it's collaborative something where you collaborative uh, disagreement, maybe, maybe, but where you work together with people who have the opposite point of view as you, but you are working on the project together and you will present your results eventually to someone else together. Oh, okay, yeah. And you will both say, this is what we can both get behind. And so you both work on it together. Whereas debate is always, yeah, it is in front of an audience. If you're talking about something on social media, it is debate. It is not trying to find truth. If you're talking private message, could be, mm. possibly, but certainly not if anyone else can see what you're saying. Yeah, if it's on the wall, it's in front of an audience. Yeah. And I'm not saying like you, it's impossible to have a good discussion in front of an audience. Like for example, um, Sam Harris and Dan Dennett disagree about free will mm -hmm. and they did a podcast episode together. And in fact, they did... Uh, they attempted to do an exchange of essays, which is fun because they're both super cordial mm -hmm. and super nice people. Uh -huh. This debate read like, I mean, it read like smart high school kids like shitting at each other, right? <laughs> so um, what it was, was apparently, so Sam Harris put out this book on free will on his position, which is like just strong determinism. And then Dennett's been endorsing some flavor of compatibilism for a few decades. And Sam had asked Dan to review his book. And he's like, sorry, I'm busy. And before he published it, and then instead of reviewing it beforehand, he just wrote this scathing review. It was like, oh, I'm so glad that Sam Harris wrote this because it illustrates all the wrong points people have. <laughs> and so Harris, so Harris wrote back and he's like, that was a pretty dick move. Like to say like its only value is how, how bad it was and demonstrated bad arguments. That's kind of an underhanded dick move. And I feel like your Rappaport rules failed you, Dan. Like <laughs> the fuck. Anyway, so they had a very cordial uh, debate on the podcast in which they kind of just like both expressed where they're coming from and tried to articulate 
uh, exactly where they disagreed. Mm-hmm. Which, when you listen to it, turns out I don't. I think they're just playing word games. Like, I don't think they have any difference of anticipated experience, which is one way to tell if they actually disagree. And they just seemed like they on every hypothetical they could build up they kind of came to the exact same conclusion right so it's like where do we where is this problem that we're having i just not wasn't super explain clear. to me your difference of anticipated experience if uh like what that means in general yeah oh, how yeah. are you using it here so there's this concept of like making your beliefs pay rent in anticipated experience so oh, like your personal huh like as in your personal anticipated experience like ways you can or like things it affects you, or things you'd expect to happen right does the question of free will ever fall into that well it depends right so i guess you can't rewind the clock literally and check and see if they could do something else but uh for example a determinist might predict that you know an accurate enough science instrument could read someone's mind before they did of course and turns out that that happens yeah. so that is a way that that belief pays rent and anticipated experience they they can actually oh, make a prediction okay. and test okay. it you don't mean it's not just in daily life it's in just more like yeah, it could be in both. I think it's a broad thing. I mean, yeah. like, if I thought the speed of gravity was 9 meters per second, you thought it was 9.8, we could just go run outside and throw something off the roof and check. Yeah. And if we had, you know, good enough clocks. Okay, I just yeah. hadn't heard that exact terminology that way. Yay. Vocabulary. Uh, <laughs> that's part of the drag with, like, the community setup is that you get this jargon that's, like, a convenient shorthand, which is nice for brief communication, but then you lose stuff. And then you have podcasts to explain it. Podcasts. What was I saying about... Uh, Oh, so you can have debates in front of people, but I think it has to be under like two people who really understand that's what they're doing. I remember bringing up the Dinesh D'Souza versus Peter Singer argument because I was on an email chat list that had mostly skeptics who liked Peter Singer's version. And then like, you know, your token Christian who was like, I thought Dinesh did a really good job. And his whole thing was like, he wouldn't respond. Like when I watched the debate, I saw Dinesh never respond to the one point Singer kept making, kept making ad hominem attacks. So Singer was like, all right, let's grant everything on your side of the table. But I'm curious why God killed all the animals when he flooded the earth. What did they do? And Dinesh never touched the point. He said, well, Peter Singer's utilitarian ethics lead him to think that like infanticide's okay. And it's like, all right, well, we're talking about, you know, specifically the problem of evil. You know, the, the rest of my utilitarianism aside, that shouldn't weigh in on this. So like, I liked watching Singer keep his cool and just point out like, you're dodging the point, bro. But someone else watched it and liked Dinesh's position. Apparently they thought he wept, swept the floor with him. So I think it does depend on where you're coming from. But, and I'm probably biased here, but I feel like that was not, I don't think any reasonable person could walk away feeling like Dinesh did a good job in that argument. It's like 10 years old. It's on YouTube. What was I going to say? Oh, you mentioned like that when you get heated on arguments, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you get, you enjoy it. And I remember feeling like that. I used to live with my old roommate is, uh, I don't know, he, 10 years ago it was more midline Republican, but, or it was more, you know, the, the, the spectrum shifted a bit. Mm-hmm. He's now fairly centrist, okay. but you know, he and I agreed like on most things, but on a couple of things we disagreed and we had really good arguments, but they were, they were to the point where like, we never got mad at each other. Yeah. We always enjoyed it. We'd like have a drink and chat, but we'd, you know, have two hours and we'd both be, you know, into it. Right. And uh, I find that engaging. I find a good discussion engaging. You know, like my heart get, heart rate gets up. I feel excited. Absolutely, yeah. But I don't know. Maybe it's my general thing of like not caring about stuff. But I haven't. I I've been charged in arguments. You know, like the one with Jason. There was mm-hmm. one that I can't gloss. I can't like just say it didn't happen. I got charged in an argument about uh, a topic I didn't actually know that much about. It was about uh, minimum wage, which maybe we'll maybe I'll do some homework on, or we'll get an expert to talk about. I was less charged like about my. I was less attached to my position on it which i didn't really have one i had like this light thing that like it makes sense to me that like paying poor people more money you know so that they can buy all the food they need to feed their families is a good thing and the person that i was talking with is 
I don't know if this is the way to put it, the richest person I know, um, like once complains to me, it's a bummer not having a job because I have to pay for my, I have to pay my rent out of my trust fund. And I'm like, oh, that's a problem that most of us have killed to have. Like you're born with a retirement fund and you're going to tell me that like, you know, in my position or my, my light, you know, feeling of like, you know, poor people should be, should be making less. Like that seems like a weird thing for you to say. What a, what a self-serving argument. So it was less like, and that was the kind of thing that I was wrong about. I shouldn't have been charged that way. It is possible. It's completely conceivable that like it's ad hominem for like me to say that person's wrong just because, uh, they should of their, still be allowed their to have an opinion they, and they absolutely should and it was more just me I was just like flabbergasted mm-hmm. and that sort of just like cascaded for like the hour that we had this conversation mm-hmm. but it's not like the kind of thing where like I would be mad if my belief turned out to be wrong it was uh, interesting because I was I was there for the conversation and you like didn't wait, normally when I think of people getting heated they like start raising their voice and getting animated and stuff and you didn't so I didn't realize that you were as emotionally charged as you were like I, I've with with the incest thing, the the person on the on the that was getting heated, like started speaking much louder and faster and gesticulating, and I was like, wow, that is that is someone who's really into their position. It's also sort of his default talking too. That's, Maybe it's hard well, to say. Yeah, that's true. And I, I I guess it's I got emotionally invested in the sense that I had an an emotional investment, yes. not that I got over the top. Yeah. Like I didn't yell, I didn't say you're a fucking idiot. Like I don't. I mean. It was in the fact that I registered an emotional response, but Mm -hmm. I, again, part of, I guess, maybe being a good arguer is having some mindfulness and being aware, like, hey, you're being upset right now. What's going on? So how did you Um, handle it when you were all emotional about it? I didn't do well. I I think, I mean, part of it, this sort of cascades into, I think, the hard part of this problem, which I feel like if you have two reasonable people, it's, it's challenging, but super rewarding and super doable to have an emotionally charged conversation. But you have to have somebody who's like willing to engage honestly, mm. who won't misrepresent your views. We've talked about Rappaport's rules before. Basically, the prime thing is like being able to restate your opponent's position so well that they. This is overly ambitious, but the uh, there's four rules of of discourse that Dan Dennett's a big fan of. That's what I mentioned that Sam shot on him or pointed out that he didn't didn't follow. Is you should be able to restate your opponent's position so well that they that they say to you, "Thanks, I never thought of putting it that way." If you can't do that, you don't really know where they're coming from. Not that you have to do that with everything they say. The goal is to like keep in mind that you should be at least able to articulate what your uh, what your opponent's position is. Or otherwise, you're just making noise. You have to be arguing against something. Well, most times people are just making noise, right? So well, most times, a lot of times, when uh, I see these sort of argument happening out in the wider world, it's uh, you are an evil, bad person. Yeah, of course. Yeah, which is not obviously what where the position that the person has. Let's just be, let's, I'm willing to put this out there. There are not that many evil people out there that like literally everybody you disagree with is an evil person. Right. You can say they are, but I guess maybe your definition of evil is just anybody disagrees with me. But if you're going to, so like, you know, if you're going to say emotionless psychopath, that's a pretty rare problem for humanity, right? Like, I mean, it it happens, but it's, it's like 1% max. Yeah. I see a lot of people just saying, oh, well you are, you know, you're a libtard or you're a racist or, you know, you're just you are that category of evil and that is that is all the justification you need for your position is your evil philosophy so i think that's the thing as far as how i responded in that in that instance i didn't i guess my thing was and i think i kept trying to say this you'll have to keep me my memory's sort of bad but i feel like i tried to say like i don't really have a strong opinion here i'm just amazed that that's your opinion and I don't think it went like the worst. I didn't like, again, it didn't resort to name calling, but I kind of walk out of there. I was like, all right, well, that was super annoying. Mm. So 
I don't know. How did you observe my interaction there? I thought it was fine. Like it, it, so it's been a while and I don't remember as much as I would have liked to remember, but it seemed that, you know, there was, there was some talking past each other, but you guys were both making an effort. Yeah. I think I didn't do the things that I mentioned that are awesome to do, which is like abstract yourself from the belief. And I would have liked to have been able to like just to ground myself and say, okay, wait, what is your actual position? Okay, why is that your position? And I don't think I asked those questions, right? right? Or if I did, I got distracted and bogged down. Like there was some analogy involved that I not worth going into that I didn't like. And I, so I kind of got hung up on that. I'm like, that's a really bad analogy. And why are you making your arguments with analogy instead of like with like evidence or arguments? And so that, that sort of, you know, was something I registered. But do you, do you have any this. techniques for emotional charged arguments? I don't think I have anything specific to add on, but. I'd be curious to see if this is just me or if there's anyone else. Um, for me, it seems like I'd almost be, I'd be interested in pursuing an argument like that. Like they're so rare for me to find one that I, that either matters enough or is directly actionable enough to be worth that type of argument. Like, uh, like I'd look to, I'd like to look through Galif's list, but and see if there are any. But the the more of those I can find, like that to me, that'd be cool. Like I, I, f- I feel like I can't find enough of those. You can probably find someone out there who thinks that copyright and patent law is the best thing right now, and we should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But who will sit down and like discuss it? Like that's the that's the key. You can skim this. If there's anything that's about it, we can jump on that. So I, I want to, uh, before we do that, also take it the other way. What do you do if you are in an argument which you are not? terribly invested in you're just sort of interested in it but you can tell that the person you're talking to is really getting emotional about this oh sure i can think of an example of that that's actually a good good a good reminder somebody i'm very close to that i spend a lot of time with i was talking with them about and this is something that i'm not willing to like die on this hill but i feel like there's an argument to be made for like profiling at the airport in the sense that i look more like a terrorist than betty white and patting down Al Gore at the airport is a waste of resources. And so well, there's something I'll argue about. <laughs> well, well, but like, I don't know if I am ready to, you know, again. I think Al Gore himself probably gets a pass. He didn't, he got pat down. Wait, I, what? I gave him a specific, this happened, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Are you kidding? No. The actual I mean, former vice president. Let me, let me verify this before we put it on the air, but I'm 99% sure this happened. Oh my God. That that's surprise nuts. Me. The TSA is. So, so that to me seems like a complete waste, right? Like right. we, we, we can be pretty sure that Al Qaeda didn't no, win him over. No, right? no, See, I'd argue on that. That but Al Qaeda would recruit a former VP. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm arguing. But oh, just for fairness? That the show of fairness is worth the waste of resources? It's not the show of fairness. I, 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 I can get twice. into my full, my whole point here. Sure. Uh, I mean, in, in the broadest of summaries and the broadest of like government 101 high school level, the reason it has to be on everybody is because we target it to a tiny minority. They will never be a voting majority and you're infringing the rights on a bunch of people who can never correct it by implying it to everybody in a democratic state. It's basically the only way you can do something like that. It's the only fair way to do it. Not because it's a smart way to do it, but because we live in a democracy and we all know the TSA is entirely useless. It's doing nothing but yes. wasting time and money. But if it was only targeted at a tiny piece, there wouldn't be any push to get rid of it. And now there is a push to get rid of it because it bothers enough people. And that's the whole point. I basically agree with you. And I also think that, um, that, that if we were to target only certain, uh, 
minorities, profiles, whatever, uh, the, the terrorists or whoever would just start recruiting outside of those. They would find the old grandma that has a grudge against the U.S. and make her... But do, and, you, think that's, do you think that's at all conceivable? Yeah, totally. So you think that, that my great-grandmother could be... Appro- maybe not mine because she was awesome, but like <laughs> so, someone's grandmother could be approached by people who want to you know blow up a, a plane full of innocent people and be convinced, be like, you should do this too. Yeah. We're, we're, I think we might be slightly slipping, which is not necessarily how much terrorism the TSA is stopping. We can call that right. null to negligible. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. The more to the point is... But I do think that certain like, people who you're 100% certain won't, we, like when Al Gore, we say, get a pass. Well, when we say... When we say would be a good thing, are we talking on effectiveness of stopping terrorism? Are we talking on waste of money? Are we talking on infringement of rights? Where are we on those? Are we talking about all three? Like I see what you're saying. The TSA fails in every single category. Well, yeah, but which one are we arguing? Because there are different arguments for different things. You're right. So I was making more of the position that it would be faster for, say, disabled kids in wheelchairs to be allowed through faster and not be lifted yeah. out of the wheelchairs and patted down and have sure. their wheelchairs analyzed, Absolutely. which happens all the time. Yeah. And... In fact, Sam Harris wrote a fun article where he was like, he watched this happen or something similar. And then he showed a video of another incident like this happening. And he was like, meanwhile, I didn't realize I'd use this same handbag that I was taking on the plane to, to once take to the firing range. And I brought bullets on the plane. Mm. So like, here's, you know, Sam Harris looks yeah, sure. way more like a, like a threat than, you know, a, someone who's so disabled, they can't talk in a chair. Uh, and they're giving that kid extra scrutiny. Right. So I think, he, he, and you know, this is again, not really the, the argument that I'm, don't write in and like have me defend this. This no, is not I my think argument. It's a good but, example of an argument we can disagree just oh, I know. for the sake of showing the terms. Yeah, I'm just, I'm telling the, I rarely I don't. I kind of see your point too, that people are more against war when the draft can take anyone at all. And once you're in an all volunteer army, then they're like, well, they signed up for it anyway. So whatever. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good point. And that's also different from like how efficient is the TSA. Right. Were, so that, that would save money. It might be more effective at stopping terrorists, but there are like externalities here. Yeah. And that's, that wasn't on the radar of the argument I was defending. Yeah, so then we're not disagreeing. Yeah. That's kind of, we're fun. just talking about two different things. Well, some people would disagree with saying that's wrong or, or Oh, okay. Well, I'm um, still saying it's wrong. I'm just admitting that it's, it might, it might save money and it might find more terrorists. You had a very good argument. I feel like I kind of ran it over. No, actually, you ran over it in a way that kind of crushed it. I hadn't even considered. So first of all, my I'm not pro profiling at the airport, but you, getting back, we've gotten kind of far afield. Mm. That came out as a prompt from what do you do if the person you're talking with is emotionally, yes. they're getting emotional, and it's not something you particularly care about. Yeah. So uh, to well, even if you do care about it a bit, like I was. Do I, want to, you the, do I want to mention the crazy thing that happened in the last few well, days? Maybe. Does it matter if you care about it? Like either way, if, you, if you're trying to convince someone of a point, I'm not sure your arguing style should change depending particularly on how much you're invested in. No, but your endurance might. And sure. So like if I, don't, if I don't care about if, they, if you're just going to walk pro- away. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. Oh, so like what happened in this case, I was talking to somebody, but I wanted to say as far as rolling over my argument, you really did. And that wasn't a dimension of the position that I considered that as long as it affects the society as a whole, society can unite against this unjust thing as opposed to like, just like fought 1% of people if it's just bugging 1%. Right. right? That's always that's, been the argument I've. That's, that's pretty awesome. I'll give that some thought. I'm again, I'm not pro I I'm pro thinking about things that challenge me. So like yeah. this is something that I'll have to mull over and see if it stands up to this and I'm I'm interested. 
I wanted to say what I did with the situation where I was talking to somebody who was getting emotional about this because they were the of the position that like it's just unjust like that's fucked up you can't just pick on one group of people mm-hmm. and I was like it's not even one and I fit more in this group than you do kind of thing right mm-hmm. but they were clearly having uh, an emotional reaction and I was like you know what this really isn't worth it to me to like get you on board this like to be like all I was trying to do is like doesn't this position have merit isn't that interesting because I found it like challenging me because I felt kind of where where this person was. But I, I moved away from that. But then it occurred to me that it wasn't really important enough to me to like make them upset yeah. to get them to like, uh, you're right, Stephen, that was an interesting argument. Like that's that was not worth it to me. Yeah. So that, that was how I handled that particular situation. I had something very similar where I had a sharp disagreement with something about something that I do actually care about quite a bit that happened in the news recently, like, but not on a deep emotional level. It's just, I, I think this is an injustice. And uh, there's a lot of complicating circumstances that make it difficult to talk about and the person that i was talking to had a very strong uh, emotional reaction to it and i actually didn't realize this at first because it was done online and so you know harder to tell with the expressions and all that but afterwards i i regretted getting that involved in this because i now know that there is some things that i can't talk with this person about and you know that's that's a little sad although there are certain subjects that i know i can't talk about either because i get too uh, emotional about them and I, I agree i think the thing to do in that situation is you know unless it's really important to you that they be on your side on whatever this issue is sometimes it's an underlying thing like they might think no this whole line of inquiry is wrong and you might think or excuse me this whole line of inquiry is immoral right and maybe your position isn't even so much about that line of inquiry it's that no position no lines of inquiry should be immoral or off topic or yeah. off limits mm-hmm. that's sort of my position so yeah, the second definitely. someone says you can't talk about that then i'm like then that was my, my then my, whole, my my whole emotional response comes not from the fact that they disagree with me on the specific point but it's like wait why are some things off the table why do you why do you get yeah, to decide absolutely. what we censor that's someone weird. being illogical bothers me way more than someone being wrong yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was my problem as well is that it the fact that i was judged as immoral for daring to speak about uh to, to, to contemplate this sort of thing and i was like and see, I disagree. You're right or wrong. You're not immoral. You'd be immoral if you're being a dick about it, but yeah. I get the impression you probably weren't. I didn't think I was. I I mean, I'm willing to bet that I probably wouldn't think you were either if I was able to read the full exchange, but I might be biased. <laughs> but I mean, I doubt that you resorted to ad hominem attacks, that you yeah. ever said fuck you, that you used all caps or lots of exclamation points. Yeah, I, I doubt you even rephrased an argument uncharitably. I was so, trying to get to what our root differences were. Yeah, I mean, and I, I'm saying all that because you argue like I do, and I would try, I would aspire to all those things, right? Oh, that's actually, that brings me to a question I'd just like to ask you really quickly. A lot of the time when I'm disagreeing with someone, uh, one of the first things I'll do is, as you said, I'll restate their argument. And a lot of the time, because I fundamentally misunderstand their argument, and that's why we're arguing, a lot of the time that will come off as a very negative view of their position. Mm. How can I do that without annoying them that I'm restating their argument in a really dumb way? Like... No, that's, that's a really good question. So like, um, and I, I'm not an expert, but I, what I would say is that, so it'd be two things. One, unfortunately, it seems like this is just keeps kind of cropping up that like a prerequisite of having a good discussion or argument or debate, whatever you want to call it, is talking with somebody who also wants to do that, yeah. right? Well, if they just want to like call you an idiot or prove you wrong, then like they're not this person. But if assuming they are, and you get to the point where you're restating their argument and you do so in a way that you misunderstood, so it makes it sound like you're shitting on their position. Yeah. I The way I get around that is saying, let me see if I understand this correctly. Are you saying this? Yeah. And if they say, 
no, I'm saying this. And like, oh, I'm sorry, I was confused. Like, that still so, sounds kind of dickish, though, because I could restate someone's... Especially if it's in a public forum. Yeah, especially like, if someone's listening. Correct me if I'm wrong, but are you saying we should murder children? <laughs> so, like, if, so I, if I, would, I... I would caveat it with, I'm just trying to understand where you're coming from, so this is what how I understand your position. Please correct me where I'm wrong, and maybe with that caveat, it helps. Or ask clarifying yeah. questions before you restate their position, because, like... They're, yeah, like, that's if, probably the safe way. Yeah, I mean, so that would be the second... That'd be, the, that'd be what I'd try first is to get get as much information as you can so like you're reasonably confident in your model and say like look I'm sorry I'm still not getting it can you rephrase your position slightly just using different words it's not clicking for some reason but like if I said hey I am against making guns hard to get for law abiding citizens and Enosh said what you're for like you know, children having access to guns and shooting their friends at school. Like that's <laughs> not even that's not even playing by the rules, right? If you said, Oh, Steven's against gun control. That might be mis- that might be mis- misinterpreting what I said, but that's a reasonable misinterpretation, mm-hmm. right? And actually, this is something that you guys might disagree on. I am in favor of like law-abiding citizens having access to firearms. Uh, maybe it's it's just kind of a necessity the way our country runs. I don't think it's like if I had a chance to you know reset run it the way Japan does. I don't think it'd be fundamentally worse. I totally agree. But in this country, I think yeah, you have to. Yeah, in in that's that's where I'm at. Is that in our current climate? You know, the cat's already out of the bag. There yeah. are more guns than there are adults in the United States. And I think more guns than there are people. There are more registered guns than there are adults. There's probably yeah. lots of unregistered yeah. guns. So given that that's the world and like you're not like by making, you know, the average citizen have to wait a month to get a gun or something. You're not going to keep guns out of the hands of criminals like this. This is all just like there was something I, I took a concealed carry class uh, last year and it was sponsored by the NRA and everybody's super pro guns in this thing. And like the, the instructors were like, yeah. And you know, it turns out magazines not going to have 15 rounds in them because of, you know, whatever regulation that was passed a couple years ago in Colorado, which made me think like the fact that they were offended at that made me think that the real reason for having guns wasn't self-defense. Okay. Cause I mean, if you can't do it in 15 shots, you can't do it in 17. Right. Uh, presumably. Uh, I, I, I'm sure it's happened somewhere where somebody hit the, hit the assailant on the 17th shot. Well, it, it depends what sort of situation you're in. If you're just doing home defense, I don't know, maybe it's enough, but I've heard that in real firefights, you put a lot of rounds downrange really fast. Sure, absolutely. But this isn't like a, in a situation where, you know, somebody's going for a gun in their car and you're trying to like get them before they can point a gun at you. I, I'm assuming. It, I guess it does depend, but... I mean, maybe someone sees you coming down the stairs, you miss with the first two shots, they take off through your house, now suddenly you're chasing them through your house, firing rounds off. You should off. not be shooting you, at someone fleeing anyway, that's actually, I, that's yeah, the law. That's <laughs> well, depending on where you are, I think in Colorado it certainly is. Um, some places, if they're still in your house, they're fair game, right? Um, I'm assuming. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I think I brought that up because this is one of those things where I think there's a good case to be made for it, but the people that are making that case don't really believe like that's not really their position Mm -hmm. they like guns because of reasons i don't think are very good like they're fun and it's our second amendment right which that doesn't make any difference to me like i don't feel like the i don't i don't really care what's in the constitution as far as gun control oh that's my point that's i mean that's a stupid position to have because like if that's the case they're, they're defending single shot muskets right so i mean if you read between the lines are they talking about full assault weapons are they talking about literally like anything that can take down a tank that, that brings me to something i've I, I i i mean that's that's a question for the supreme court <laughs> well a question i've always had ba- based on that argument is i was here as a, as a counter to you know the hyper militarization of police and how it's you know this defense against the state but how does that work like i've never heard a super fantastic argument for how that helps us prevent 
That sounds like a different episode. So totally. (laughs) Completely (laughs) off topic. Well, it's actually, it's not. I mean, in one line, the response is, it keeps them from being able to walk all over us without a ton of effort. Hmm. So, like, if the police have guns and we have guns... Well, they can't just say, well, we have guns, we have to do what we have, we have, to do what we say. Because if, if the citizens really wanted to, they could say, well, no, we don't, because we can so shoot you back. Shouldn't most people who are s- super pro-Second Amendment also be against this hyper-militarization of police, which I see a lot of the... Uh, I don't see that opinion very often. I don't know where the overlap is there. I imagine some of them are. Um, most I've met are, are pro-both. Huh. Um, I don't know. Then I... I would say they're being inconsistent unless they have made a good case for it. And I'm not sure yeah. what it is. I don't, I, I know almost nothing about the subject. I was just curious if you guys knew anything. <laughs> I don't, but I think I brought this up in the first place. Cause I was thinking about cases where, uh, people's real motivations for defending a position aren't what they say they are. Um, oh, okay. so like they'll, they'll put forward a very reasonable sounding argument that I think on its own does have merit, but they're just putting it forward because it's the most palatable version. And even if that turned out to be completely false. Um, so like, for example, my position on guns is like, I don't actually own one, but if I, I'm still on the fence about getting one for the house, but like I have my, I have my authorization to get my concealed carry permit should I decide to do so. Um, cause I, I do sort of think that, you know, if I'm in a movie theater and someone starts shooting people, well, it'd be kind of cool. Like the, what gives that guy such the advantage that he can put pieces of metal across the room really fast. He doesn't have to be near people to kill them. Like if I could return that magic power back at them, that'd put me in a hugely better position. Right. People do worry that like, Oh, then you have two untrained people shooting into a crowd and a, the goal is not to be an untrained idiot firing blindly into a crowd. And like, if I'm going to risk hitting somebody, I'm probably, you know, I'm, if there's someone between me and the gun gunman, then I don't need to worry about being shot because I'm going to shoot that person probably. I think people I mean, greatly underestimate the chaos of an actual uh, firefight situation. Probably. But I will also say that I think people also radically underestimate like what training some people do. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, uh, I, I'm not an expert, but I fired like, a few hundred rounds maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not hard to shoot even like if you're like if you're in a panic situation and you're moving and stuff, yeah, it's going to be a way more difficult situation. But if you're moving, you probably don't need to be stopping to take a shot, right? So like rule one of, of surviving violence is try and get away from it. Like that's just, it doesn't matter if you're an MMA fighter and a SEAL Team 6 style gunman. Like if you, if you want to maximize your chances of getting out of a violent situation safely, you just try Leave. to get out of it safely. You don't, you don't try and take the person down unless you have no other choice. And that's, I mean, that to me, that's why I like the idea of having guns for home safety. And I'm bringing this up as an example of something that people get charged about, right? Well, speaking of having to take down other people, uh, what do you do when the person you're talking to gets really emotional about something? Oh, you shoot them if we're talking about this conversation. <laughs> um, so what I was going to say though really quick and how I know this isn't the true reason for a lot of people for home defense is if there was like a non non-lethal alternative to a gun, like a super taser mm-hmm. that would go through clothing and fire as fast as a bullet and you didn't have to spend, you know, a bunch of time reloading per shot. Phaser set on stun. Perfect. I would have that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to the people, two people that I know who carry gun or who have and carry guns who would, who, you know, I asked them, like, do you have it from defense and this sort of thing? I kind of dazed and changed them along and set them up for this question. And so, okay, cool. If I had a non-lethal alternative that was like a phaser, you know, I don't know if I use the word phaser, but something like that. I think I used the word super taser. They had said no, because it doesn't go bang, basically. Like, they, <laughs> they like it because it's fun and it's powerful. And it is. It's kind of like a guilty pleasure. If you've never shot a gun, I recommend going with a professional and trying it sometime. It's, I mean, if it's your thing. If you're terrified, don't. Don't do anything uncomfortable. 
that's one of those things shouldn't be terrified of it i i do think that everyone should fire a gun at some point in their life just to get a feeling for what it actually is i mean i don't like driving but i would feel pretty unprepared if i didn't know how to drive as it is i don't have to drive that much but i mean if i literally couldn't get a car going what if something happened? What if, you know, my primary ride or whatever was having a heart attack? I, can, I couldn't get them to the hospital? That sounds super irresponsible of me. So I know that that's not an analogous thing, but the level of preparedness for things that you're uncomfortable with is the general point I'm making. So you are talking with someone about an issue that is important to you, but uh, you see them getting highly uh, emotional to the point where you you're worried about you know, how, how the friendship will continue if, if this keeps going on. For sure. Um, or, or are you even worried about that sort of thing? Are you just like, stop being so emotional? I mean, I gave you an example of something that, you know, like the, the profiling case, I was raising it as like, isn't this an interesting counter example? You know, when you think about it this way, isn't that sort of, you know, thought provoking? And this person just didn't enjoy that argument. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, you're not, you don't get off on a good you know, uh, challenging argument like I do that's totally fine it was something that I really cared about I mean so like I'm trying to think of an example for the most part I'm not around people that I have I guess I don't have that many super off-putting positions to people that I'm around a lot um the gun thing might be close but even then I don't know anybody who would say I can't have this conversation with you um they might say I disagree with you but whatever if it was something that I really cared about and I'm trying to think of something like a core value that someone could reasonably challenge. Well, just someone said that uh, you can't challenge them on this thing because to try to challenge a, a factual question would make you a racist. Oh, sure. Okay. So like not so much about a specific proposition then, but about a general approach to inquiry. Yeah. So like, for example, I feel like it's a scientific question whether or not some demographics of humans are smarter than others. Mm-hmm. And just if like someone a, started going off on you and saying, if you even raise that question, you're a racist. And I wouldn't even necessarily say like it's racist. Like it doesn't have to be racial based. It could be that, I don't know, there could be some correlate between height All and intelligence. Crazy, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say, right? Like there definitely are correlates between like genetics and height. Yeah, but um, not about intelligence. And all the junk, all the science that, any science that purports to show that is junk science that's supported by racists. And, and you wouldn't be bringing this up if you weren't a racist. And Nazi. <laughs> and Nazi, well, Nazis are racists by definitions, right? <laughs> so in that case, like since I'm not super attached to any beliefs like that, because I don't know if there's like if there was some super crazy evidence that came up that was just overwhelmingly compelling, mm-hmm. and the people were shutting that down, that would be sort of disconcerting because it's like that'd be like denying global warming, right? Mm-hmm. It's like no, look, this is a problem that we need to like work on how to fix. Just to, pretending it's not there isn't going to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of a maybe intelligence is, is well, like is is are you uh like is the global warming thing important to you? It's important enough, like the the lines of thinking that let me come to the conclusion that global warming is real and a problem. I'm not close with anybody uh, voluntarily that doesn't believe, that doesn't have, that couldn't follow the same steps that I did. Mm-hmm. So like I am friends, like, or I'm not, well, yeah, I'm friends and close with people who are like, you know, enthusiastic Trump voters. And so like we have some fairly different core values, but, you know, there's not the kind of people that like I spend a lot of time with on voluntarily and when we do we're cordial and we don't talk about that stuff for the most part like if i had a friend who was i mean i don't know like Wait, are that, you, you're tight with your brother right mm-hmm. okay uh, what if your brother said that all the science showing that global warming is happening is junk science and it really isn't happening you don't got to worry about it 
And if you were trying to try to bring up any sort of uh, studies or research that showed it was happening, he would say, you know what? Those were all studies done by homophobic assholes, and I can't believe you're even bringing this up. So you hate the gays, Stephen? Right. That's that's a good <laughs> intuition pump because I'm already feeling I'm already registering an emotional response just imagining that vividly. It would mean that I couldn't be friends with my brother anymore. Mm. Not because we disagree about global warming, but because we disagree about the rules of thought that let me think that global warming is a thing. Mm. I mean, because you could you could change that out for any other proposition, right? Mm. And it, it could even be something that I mean, even if it was uh, something that I agreed with. Um, I can't think of a way to phrase that in a way that would be uh, the reverse of that, but he happened to be right. Mm -hmm. But let's say it was, or yeah, I mean, like you know, so a gun, gun safe, or uh, you know, uh, citizens having access to guns. It feels like yeah, because we need to be able to shoot all those. You know, I can't even. I got to remove my brother from this because it's too too like emotionally charged. Use that as hypothetical. Mm -hmm. But say somebody was like, I agree with you, Stephen. We should be allowed to shoot down all of those insert bad people here because they're like secretly a Nazi or something, right? All the Muslims. Yeah. So like if they're if they're some asshole and like that's their reason for it, it's like so we agree that people should have access to guns, but for very different reasons. And I think that that's pretty much that's probably worse than them just being i mean I, it's just it's on the same spectrum of like them disagreeing for for insane reasons but like this is almost bad because like oh damn i'm on this guy's side but he's on my side for like all the wrong reasons <laughs> i don't even like like i believe that i should be allowed to be factually wrong about something without that having an implication on my moral character like if there if there really isn't global warming i can be wrong about the the research I've read and come to the wrong conclusions without that implying that I hate gay people. Right, I totally agree. And I should hope anyway. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's my whole thing about like. I was, there's two points to make there. One is that yes, you there's there's this virtue of like being able to admit like not being attached to the belief, just being attached to the truth, and that's actually ties really closely to the other thing that. You know, if someone's going to deny all the evidence that disagrees with their thinking, they're not attached to the truth. They're attached to their belief or their ideology. I think the most harmful thing about that is because I would want to know if I was wrong. Like, if I am wrong about global research, I would like to have a conversation with someone where I can find that out as opposed to being shut down with, you can't have that conversation because having it is homophobic. And what am I supposed to do with that? Maybe that's the best litmus test for like whether or not someone's wanting to have a good conversation is you could just say, if you were wrong about this, would you want to know? Mm. And if the answer is no, or it doesn't matter because I'm not wrong, then they're not yeah. going to be good to have a conversation with, right? Mm. But that's such a t that's such a teeny tiny subset. And there, you still might want to communicate your idea. You still might want to communicate your idea to a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily answer that question with yes, who would want to be, who would want to, who would say they would like to know if they were wrong. There still might be people you want to communicate your idea to without infuriating. Oh, I kind of example? feel like when it comes to people like that, you need someone who is either professionally trained or highly gifted at communicating with people that are hostile. Or like well, you can, necessarily you can, I, that hostile. That might, like there are a lot of people I can think who wouldn't say, oh yes, I'd love to be proven wrong. Most, I'd be willing to, most people wouldn't. But I, I feel you could probably convince most people, given time and civility, I don't mean all, but more than half, that global warming is real. Like there's a, there's a ground of people who are still in the range of having a civil discussion who might not, you know, be immediately like, oh, I love being proved wrong. Like there's a, there's a middle ground. Yeah. I mean, and, I think and the middle ground that's much more, I think, commonly occupied is not that I love being proved wrong. I do get a rush learning that I've been wrong about something, yeah, but, I, think but I might be weird. But what I'm saying is that 
some, some there, there's somebody who like at least is like not axiomatically opposed to being wrong, which is different than sure. just not loving it. Sure. So framing it that way is a very small subset of the population. But as long as they're like okay being wrong, is yeah, more what I'm just at. that specific question is hard to ask. I guess is what I'm saying. I'm really worried that it's a thing that amateurs are just not good at and shouldn't attempt. Like I. I... I think being able to convince people who disagree, who you disagree with on a lot of things, being able to come to the sort out what you're really disagreeing on, narrow it down, work it out and find that core point is super useful to do, even with people who aren't really good at it. But I feel like the people who are willing to put in that kind of work are the kind of people who are open to revision, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm only picturing the wrong kind I of I think argument. you're probably right most of the time, but it, it, it can happen where you can still have that discussion with someone who you totally disagree with. Like, I'm, I'm not totally disagree with them. You guys could, we could disagree axiomatically, but the point is, is that like at the end of this, one of us should change our mind if we're both, if we could both bring forward evidence, right? Or at the very least. Optimally. So, yeah. So there's a difference. Like we can disagree. I'm not just all around for like, you know, circle jerking and, and agreeing with everybody all the time, but if if they're if they're going into the argument saying there's no way you're going to change my mind, it's like why am I going to waste my time? Well, lots. Of, I mean, I think a lot of people go into that, and a lot of people get their minds changed. Like a lot of the time, like I have heard many times, oh, there's no way, like there's no way you could change my mind, and there's a a non-zero number of times where I've walked away, and they're like, oh wait, I guess that makes sense. Like uh, hmm. that's actually a good point. So maybe they're not well calibrating how vulnerable they are to who are these revision. people. Yeah, who are these secret senti- who I are mean, these secret scientists that you know or the secret rationalists? Th- that's my point, is they're not. Like I think in general, most people, if approached gently and slowly enough and from in the right way, you can convince, even if it's not perfectly, you know, a perfectly rational trained discussion, you can still get people on the right line to further it. I mean, some people are hopeless. The moment you bring it up, they explode. But there are there I I'd say a majority of people you can bring to see a logical viewpoint as long as you have the patience and you know things they appeals things that appeal to them that back up your argument so i have a i have a family member who was i think i mentioned you know a trump voter and supporter and what i can do with this person is we can talk and he can say i see where you're coming from but i've never heard him say you know what you're right well let me let me rephrase that um, or at least let me consider that I've never actually heard those words. I've heard him say, I've never thought of it that way. But never but, conceded like anything? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to go through the, my entire history of, of conversation with this person. Um, probably minor points, but I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever been witness to any like major revisions. Mm-hmm. So, but that doesn't mean that the time is wasted because it can also be like fun, you know, like a yeah, sparring match instead of a, a real fight. Definitely. Um, but you know, then that also doesn't mean that's not valuable because then at least even if they don't change their mind, they walk away with an understanding of where they're coming from. But that's actually different than the sort of hostile. Now you've got me all hung up on using the word interlocutor. Um, <laughs> it's th- a good word. So um, that's different than having a fully hostile interlocutor where they, sure. uh, they're they just not willing to engage. Yeah. And so those people might just be unapproachable. And I think, but I, what I'm saying is I think that that's a relative minority. I, I don't think that, I think that's far less than half of most people. Oh, like, I'm sure it's less than half, but that doesn't, I mean, in relative minority, yeah, I mean, if we're talking less than half, then technically sure, but it, I can probably list off the top of my head five people, and I, I only know like 30 people. So that's so, a that's a fairly large number of I, people who, who are like that with some topics at least, right? Yeah, um, yeah, with some topics. Surely. I have a question, and I'm making a note that this is at 131 in case we want to come back and uh, cut this out after. So 
do you think you're familiar with the whole Google memo thing, right? Uh, only vaguely, actually. Oh, okay. So, yeah, but if if you give me, uh, I will trust your opinion if you give me the facts and for and well, no, s- I, solidify my opinion from that. I was just curious. I, I I was hoping you'd read it. I was curious whether you thought the majority of people are hostile to that uh, opinion put forth in the memo, or if the memo was particularly bad at putting forth its opinion. Oh, so I would have actually had to read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, certainly one of those two is the case. And I can see some arguments for how the memo really had issues with what it was presenting. But on the other hand, I don't know. And and then I saw an interview with the kid. He's like 22, fresh out of college or something. Yeah, right? He's idealistic and sweet. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry that you got thrust into this role because you were obviously not the right person to do this. And I don't know, it seems like, did, did I hear correctly that the memo was not, it, it was originally just intended as a, um, a, a response to their, to their request for feedback? That's what I've heard. I didn't actually read the thing either. And I can actually phrase this in a way that I think you don't have to have read the memo to answer. In your opinion, maybe you've seen some dialogue on Facebook or on Reddit or something. Are people arguing against the poor quality of effort and scientific rigor and argument brought forward in the arguments? Or are they upset and arguing at the fact that this guy made those arguments at all. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely definitely the latter. It's kind of kind of Ineosh's point, which is, you know, there the people almost upset that it's being discussed. So that makes it sound like those people aren't even open to talk about the content of it. The fact that this point was raised, and the point was r- roughly that there's some underpinning difference in men and women. I didn't read the thing that made men more suited to work in places like Google. Yes, but it also kind of meandered and rambled a bit and it I mean, looking back on it, this is why I say that when it comes to touchy things that really should be handled to uh, left to professional uh, persuaders or whatever, because it that, that is just it's such a touchy topic. An amateur should not have expected to be able to touch that and keep his job. Well, and maybe in his defense, he wasn't trying to make a public position with this and they just asked him. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I think that's also kind of sad because I like being able to talk about the empirical side of things, but it's it is a very touchy topic in in our culture yeah and to be clear my only exposure to this was reading not even the post but julia galef linked to it on her facebook but i read her the first two paragraphs of her several paragraph thing on it I, i'm not on facebook that much it says something along the lines of his his central claim seems to be something along the lines of there are there's some genetic predisposition or some something that was not socially uh, a factor but a non-social factor that made men on average, maybe more likely or more likely to succeed at places like Google. Um, More interested in the field. And so Julia Galef, and I totally agree with her, said that that sounds to me like at least plausible enough to look into. It's not like so outlandish that, you know, oh, it looks like women can't do math. Like if it was that, then like, all right, look, that dude's just wrong. and He's not even making a point worth looking looking any more into because we've kind of settled that question. Whether or not women prefer people-oriented positions or, uh, like, what was the alternative? People-oriented? People versus and, things. Yeah, people, people-oriented people positions or thing-oriented positions. That sounds like an investigatable question. And, you know, then you can you can look at social factors and see how much one plays into it or something. But that, I'm not saying that that's true. Don't, don't, don't take me out of context. What I'm saying is that sounds like an investigatable question. But if anyone is, like, having this you know, kick reaction. Like, I can't believe you would even say that's worth looking into you fucking misogynistic sexist shitlord pig. That's the kind of like unapproachable arguer that I'm 
referring to when I say like some people just can't be met even halfway because they're not willing to get they're not willing to meet you an inch. So like if some people just have ideas that are off the table, you know, uh, another popular one is that like there could be and, and this touched on in the episode that we had um, about transhumanism where we we're talking about like whether or not your coherent accepted volition would be, a, you know, similar enough across all of humanity. Mm-hmm. And so when Shelley said that, you know, it's possible that there's been some enough distance between different groups of humans that their CEVs are different. You know, how do we how do we map that onto whether or not humans CEVs as a whole? And I was like, so you're saying that there's a genetic difference between different groups of humans that have led them to have like that are that have that are vast enough for our like core values to be that different. And okay. that, that goes against the, like the strong leftist position. And this is not me I'm not being sure a that dick. Was her position though. No, she was raising the question. I'm just oh. saying that that line of, of questioning. Well, I mean, I don't even think it has to necessarily be genetic because if a strong AI comes into its full power in the next year or something and starts taking the CEV of everyone alive, it doesn't, the genetics certainly plays a part into that, but culture and socialization plays a lot into it as well. Totally. I the, thought, so, the I, CEV is determined by who we are at the moment, which includes all our lives up to this point. Right. I got the impression that, that she was making a genetic argument. Maybe, okay. I, maybe I misinterpreted, but um, somebody could. I don't but think you could find the CEV of any race just by looking at their genetics, or, or any species, rather, just by looking at their genetics. Well, we couldn't because we're not super intelligent, but I'm, I'm, mm. I, I can see that too. Uh, okay. But I... Someone might be able to argue, no, 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 it just turns out that, you know, whatever tall people have this different core value than short people or something. Tall people have a core value of patting short people on the head. (laughs) (laughs) And having high doorways. That's my core value. Um, So the doorways aren't that big of an issue. High shower heads. It's more of a problem. Yeah. Even I've been in showers that are too short and I'm five, (laughs) eight. So yeah, my, what I, I was raising that because there's, there's as far as like other examples of, of. Sacred cows sounds pejorative and it kind of is, but not if you're of the mindset that like it's good to learn about these things uh, or learn like what your what your sacred cows are. You could call them like your untouchable beliefs or your unquestionable beliefs. I feel like the goal of the aspiring rationalist is to not have anything like that. I disagree. I have some sacred cows. All right. Well, I want to get to that in a second. What I was going to get at though is that correct me. This is something that you know maybe some feedback on, but like the idea that there can't be a genetic component to anything that we care about. Or that there, in fact, isn't. We don't have to look. Mm. That sounds like a sacred cow. Yeah, right. That's a problem. So, and I, I, I should say so, right? It, it feels to me like if you're saying that sexism is bad because all people are equal, and that therefore implies that if anyone is not identical, then sexism is justified. Which I know. What is wrong with your philosophy? Sexism is unjustified, even if people are radically different. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, even if there's genetically huge differences between men and women, and I'm not saying there are, but if there were, sexism is still bad. I like tall people and short people because it's a fairly non-inflammatory way to make the hypothetical. But okay. that, but that's a fair point, and that's that is something that people say, like, no, no, it's wrong because they're the same. It's like, well, if they weren't, then it would be okay. Right. That seems to be that what that line of thinking leads to, and that's not what anyone wants. That's not even probably what they want, but that's mm. the extension of the argument that they're making. So what what is some of your sacred cows? I'd be interested in poking at one. Well, I think the the biggest one is that uh, all people are deserving of respect and have moral weight and uh, should not be killed. Like just if by f- virtue of being human, there is a core human dignity and respect that you are afforded, unless you do something really horrific to you know void that. 
So either that's a sacred cow of mine, or I'm just looking at this. And that doesn't sound like this kind of category of thing that's a sacred cow. Well, that's not a thing might, that you, you be, can prove empirically or fight against either, right? Well, that is just a thing you believe. So that might be that might be what separates it. That it's not an empirical belief. It's a it's a moral one. Yeah. And so like you can't. You, I can't bring you. I can't go out do a cool study and f- bring you this paper and prove you wrong on that right now it turns out that if you're over six eight i don't know whatever right <laughs> um, your, your moral worth drops off exponentially <laughs> uh so like that i think maybe that and maybe sacred cow wasn't carefully defined maybe it has to be an empirical uh, and at least in potential empirical belief does that mm. sound i mean do you have any that are empirical that are like, you know what? I don't want to open that box because if it has the wrong thing, I'll be sad. But there's a lot, there's, 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 there's tons of sacred cows, like literally a sacred cow that is not empirical in any way. Yeah. I think sacred cows, cows have to have an aspect of the moral because people don't really care all that much about the empirical side of things. I was going for the faith side of things. Okay. Like the, that's the opposite of empirical, but some I'd still classify those as sacred cows. I guess maybe maybe there should be a different word for it because I'm thinking that there's there's something special about the category of things that this is my untouchable belief, but it's anchored on a true or false reality claim. Oh, um, I guess there could be uh, for people who believe in the supernatural that uh, a god or a live loving being exists might be a sacred cow of theirs. That's yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. Because that kind is, of where I was going. That is potentially something that could be proven or disproven. and Depending on the person that you're talking to. Right, depending yeah. on their definition of God and such. But uh, that would be something that some people might not be willing to investigate. The way that I'm thinking about it, a sacred cow isn't something like good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Mm-hmm. It's like good people, good people go to heaven and bad people, bad people go to hell. And I'm not going to look in this book that shows me who's in heaven and who's in hell because I don't want to be proven wrong or right. So it's the difference between not being willing to accept empirical evidence and not even being willing to discuss it. Or that discussing or looking at the empirical evidence is immoral or something. Yeah, that kind of falls under not being willing to discuss it. Yeah, but I think even, yeah, it's it's that's why I think they wouldn't discuss it because they, like, because they're afraid that if the answer proved them wrong, it would challenge their core belief, whatever this belief is, and they they aren't willing to risk that. So then instead of saying instead of just saying that, they're saying it's immoral to look to look in that book mm. and pr- see if I'm right or wrong. I don't know, are you willing to entertain the idea that some humans might not have a moral weight and aren't deserving of respect just for whatever skin color or intelligence or whatever? Or we can say height because it's nice or and height, nice sure. and safe. Like Again, I don't know if that's I'm trying I'm trying to separate that kind of thing from the kind of thing that has a true or false answer in reality that we could in principle find out. And you can't just like hold a cool meter up to somebody and be like, "Oh, you have 7.8 units of worth." And be like, "Oh, it looks like tall people have like less than short people or vice right, versa." But are you willing to entertain a discussion with someone who does say that this group of people, whatever they are, gingers, are not worthy of being considered human and having the same respect and rights as the others do? Like, are we willing to have a conversation of that sort with We've someone? had conversations of that sort. Have uh, we? Gallant wrote in with all those arguments about minorities. We talked about that for like a whole episode once. That's the kind of argument. I, again, I, I, I do want to the point that I am separating yeah, that from it, the... But it's not something that I would ever budge on, I guess. I mean, yeah, I, I think I even said, like, I'm not, I'm not anticipating that you could even bring forward evidence that would change your mind. But man, if, if... I can't remember any of a specific claim. Something about how, like, poor people are more inclined to whatever it was i don't know but if any of those were testable i wouldn't like and if, if he said look i don't know 
someone that's not a a, a what's, the, what's the what's the professional word for it a crank someone who's not a crank wrote this paper it's pretty short you could read it in 20 minutes it provides a very very compelling evidence i wouldn't not read it because i feel like it'd be immoral to learn that information right. i feel like even, that's the sign of a sacred cow even if poor people turn out to have terrible impulse control or whatever and not as much uh prefrontal cortex uh what is it the override called the ability to override your impulses i know i just heard it today, being a human I, I just heard it as well not not too long ago but it, it, even if it turns out that poor people do have that uh in a lesser ability of to do that and it is genetic it still wouldn't change my mind that all people are equally deserving of respect i agree and but and so i think and the fact so that I but, but that doesn't mean that so yeah you're your moral position on how much people matter isn't the kind of thing that you're not willing to examine because you would look at the evidence for that. and You're like, Oh wow. They actually, there is something here. We need to adjust society to make things better for this. You wouldn't say we can't look at that because if that's true, that's horrible. Right. Right. So that's that to me. Right. Cause think, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me uh, if that's true or not. It's not going to change how we uh, treat people. Well, it might, it might actually matter, you know, Oh look it. And it turns out that we could actually fix this by, giving all four-year-olds on in in the first world the marshmallow experiment right, right, right. I so mean, like yeah, we if it was maybe... that, but but so the only way we could determine a way to fix any sort of problem that was like this would be to investigate it yeah as as uh you know scientifically as we could to say that that sort of investigation is immoral that's the sacred cow part to say that asking that question is immoral and you're a bad person for asking it that's the sacred cow part and that's that's where the person's being uncharitable and incapable of having a good discussion does that get us too far? No. I mean, I, I'm curious now what kind of listener feedback, if any, that we'll have on this particular thing. Keep in mind, like, all these are hypotheticals. I don't believe anything about that, you know, with the... If someone wants to challenge on, like, that guns actually aren't good for home safety because this, in your argument, something along the lines of, like, look how many people, you know, accidentally shoot themselves or something, or on purpose shoot themselves. I'm aware of that. I'm not... Super, that doesn't really weigh into, like, my in-principle argument. But as far as, like, the... If anyone writes in and be like, oh, you guys think poor people this or tall people that, that's obviously, we're making hypotheticals. I don't know. That That is, I spent, this is actually one of the few episodes where I had like heads up about what we were talking about. Sometimes we'll just decide like when we get here or I had I didn't understand what we were supposed to be looking into and looked into something else. So I was thinking about this all week and I couldn't think of like where I reliably get upset about a certain topic. Um, I did have that incident, like I said, about the minimum wage thing, but that was less about the topic and more about the circumstances. And so I just spent the whole time trying to think of like, all right, well, where do my emotional arguments come from? And it's less about the position and more about the person I'm talking with. If they are being uncharitable, if they're name calling right away, exactly. if, they're, if they're poorly rephrasing your position, you know, like, so if, if Chase was poor gun or, or was anti-gun and I said, I think guns are an okay thing for sane adults to have. And you're like, oh, so you're okay with kids getting shot. Like I might get annoyed because like, that's not what I said. And that's not what I'm defending. And for you to like, go around telling people that Steven's okay with people with kids getting shot. That's not a fair interpretation of what I'm saying. Not saying that you would, but you're, yeah, you're in and the room. I think, <laughs> I think I would, I'm on the same way, which is as far as I know, though someone I'm sure could confront me and probably prove me wrong. I don't have too many things that I wouldn't be willing to argue about, but someone being willfully ignorant or just being willfully antagonistic or just completely logical, that'll get me much more riled up than any, I think any opinion they could hold would. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. No, I, I think that's that's exactly how I feel. That it's less about my attachment to any belief. Because my attachment is more to the truth. What's actually happening. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I'm wrong as a matter of fact, I actually want to know that. Because even if it's something that I'm, I'd be uncomfortable learning. 
you know, if I learned that, I don't know, something personal, like if I learned that white people were just had like way more, uh, racist tendencies or, or misogynistic tendencies than other races or something. I'd be like, Oh, that sucks. I guess I need to work extra hard at mitigating that. But it wouldn't be like, you know, Oh, don't look into that box. Cause that box might have a bad, scary thing in it. That's, that to me is more the sacred cow thing and more the, uh, I'm not getting hung up on that, but I, I've been thinking about that topic too. Cause I, I don't know if I have any of those. I do have moral beliefs that are pretty hard to, to shake, but I think that rests on an empirical question that I'm refusing to look at. Yeah, if you ever found any of those, I'd, I'd we'd probably I'd probably have fun debating you over it. Same. Like, <laughs> I think it'd be fun. And I I mean, you know me sort of okay. Do I have anything like that that you can think of that Steven's pretty touchy on this thing and like he he because there's a good chance like I mean, I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm not yeah. lying when I say I'm unaware of it. There's there's literally nothing that comes to mind. Boo. Maybe if I really thought about it, but this could be a fun episode to dive into. If any if you guys can think of anything, I would love to like yeah, sacrifice one of my sacred cows <laughs> or be shown to be a hypocrite. If that, if that works too, then you know, or you can just practice your stepping away and calming down techniques for an episode, which takes us seven hours to record because <laughs> <laughs> you have to keep leaving. Right. Yeah. That'd be fun. I, I mean, I'm like, I, maybe it's just the, the, the flexibility, but I'm not that attached to any like, you know, non-moral belief, man. Now I'm trying to dig around in my head and think of one of them. I can't, I mean, obviously I don't have a bucket in my head labeled sacred cows, so <laughs> I can't pull one out and think of one right away, but there are things I care a lot about, but nothing that I refuse to investigate. Nothing that I would say, I know I will not hear your evidence. There are times, there are things that like, I won't waste my time looking at your evidence be like, look, turns out women are really stupid at something. I'm like, you know what? That's been looked at. You're stupid. Mm. Um, if it, if it turned out where like a lot of uncomfortable social science was coming out that was like, oh man, look at this. Turns out people who are under six feet tall have this thing. I don't know. Whatever it is, right? Like, I, I mean, I, w- I would be willing, I'd be more willing to to look into something if there was reputable engagement on it, but not if it just cranks. All right. Uh, Shall we wrap up? I mean, I wish we could get like immediate feedback so someone could ask a question that, yeah. like, you know, Steven, you didn't really cover that very well or you didn't make any sense. We took a break partway through to go look at the International Space Station. So I got kind of derailed. Yeah. But all right. Yeah, we can dive into feedback. Unless, Chase, did you have anything to add? I felt like... No, no. I think I already mentioned it. Uh, the one thing we did argue about, I <laughs> I said a perfectly bad example by like immediately steamrolling over your responses, but... <laughs> the profiling thing? Yeah. Well, no, I, I mean... I, I think we agreed because we already did. But I did the thing I just did where I cut you off. That's fine. But I mean, If we hadn't agreed, it would have been infuriating. Well... You're arguing in good faith. I mean, I, I can understand enthusiastically talking over somebody if you're, you know, wanting to get something out. If you consistently did it or if I asked you not to and you persisted, then that would get annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't find that the least bit obtrusive or, or unsettling. If anything, I found it interesting that you opened up a different avenue to that that I never considered. Because yeah. you're much more like large scale socially minded than I am. Like, I mean, you talk about like, you know, like the uh, um, the EFF uh the, is that your jacket? Oh, awesome. Kind hey, of. Fantastic. So like, I mean, large scale social issues are not the kind of thing that I'm great at thinking about. Like I just have like, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if like this was a little different? And you're like, actually, if you think about that, society would fall apart. Like those aren't things that, that, that next step isn't things that come to mind readily. Yeah. I was just saying I that it was a really bad example of how to have this discussion with someone who's not already on your side, which is not what I was trying to do. <laughs> I was setting up the example of a bad way to do it which is 
to be brief, to talk oh. over someone's response and to not fully listen. Like that's exactly the opposite of what you want to do. Okay. I finally, I think, see where you're coming from. You're saying that if we were coming from different positions and we were coming, like at a new issue. I'd like to think I wouldn't talk over you as much, but okay. I, I'm not confident in that. I see. Well, we'll try it sometime. <laughs> Okay, no, I got you. And sorry that if that if everyone else got that the first time it took me three tries, that was on me. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm ready for feedback. Alrighty, well, the one thing that I did want to bring up, which I am uh, glad that Chase is here for, although by the time this episode goes live, it's probably going to be like three months since this became a news item. Um, the the lawsuit uh, of, for the printer cartridges, the people at Refill was it Lexmar? Uh, I, think, I don't know. Okay, so there there was a, a... This is going all the way back to the digital rights episode that we were doing. Uh, there was a lawsuit brought by a printer company who I think was Lexmar or something along those lines uh, against a smaller company who was taking their old ink cartridges, refilling them with ink, and giving them back to consumers for a small fee, much less than a new print cartridge that Lexmar... Uh, charges for sure. sold yes um the <laughs> Wait, go on they had this this came to conclusion yes oh yes or i don't know if it's going to go up to an even higher court but i think it was at the supreme court at this point wasn't it yeah, it yeah okay uh the the problem was that lexmar had a bit on the on their ink cartridge that got flipped from one to zero, I believe, when the ink cartridge ran out of ink. And at that point, whenever you put it into the printer, the printer would say, sorry, you've already used all the ink on this cartridge and I will not use this cartridge for anything. So even if you refilled it with ink, you couldn't use it anymore. Your printer would not recognize it. So in addition to refilling it with the ink, they flipped that bit from zero back to one. And got hit with the DMCA claim, of course. Exactly. And uh, they said that changing one bit is okay and yeah they're they're able to continue do to continue doing that it's it's interesting because the so for some background i was reading uh cory doctorow on this who was uh yeah head of vff for a while uh actually head of vff europe or head of vff in general i have no idea okay but cory doctorow was working for the eff for a while i'm not sure if he still is or not also a sci-fi author writes some good stuff who is very against drm like this there there used to be way back in the day uh publishers wanted to make it so that you could not resell a book once it had been sold to you because they had copyright on it uh and not only could you not resell it this means you couldn't loan it you couldn't pass it on to your children they sold it to you specifically for your use only and the court said no that there is a doctrine of exhaustion once you have sold something to someone uh you have exhausted your rights to it and they can do what they want with it and software is covered by copyright due to a series of court rulings from the 70s won't get into but uh by definition anything with software in it has copyrighted work inside of it because of this software so <laughs> Which makes it basically everything nowadays. Yeah. There's almost nothing that doesn't yeah. have software in uh, it. Lamps. I mean, watches. I mean, the alarm clocks. I mean. Yeah. And so anything that you want to, you can just add a thin skim of DRM to it. And now that we have passed the DMCA, DRM is sac sacrosanct. Right. It and has the same rights that those people wanted in the past that you cannot touch it you cannot resell it you cannot do anything with it so you can add a thin skin of drm to anything that has software and all of a sudden 
you don't really own it anymore. Exactly. It is still owned by the corporation and they get to decide. And it can what stop you doing all it. sorts of stuff under the guise of copyright law. Exactly. Like, and that's not what copyright law is for. That's, it, it, that doesn't help anyone that's not helping artists. It's, it's madness. What yeah. was DRM? D- Digital rights management. I see. A perfect example is that Philips uh, has, see, with the uh, ink cartridges, they made a mistake in that it's only one bit that flips. Uh, but Philips has more complex software on their lamps and to change it, you would need to break their DRM. Yep. And uh, that is illegal. So they now have it that if I... <laughs> If you want to to get light out of your Philips lamp, you have to buy a Philips light bulb because the DR the software on the lamp will check if there's the matching software in the light bulb. Oh, for and safety, I'm sure. For, of course, for safety. <laughs> so you can only get around that by hacking through their DRM, which is completely illegal now. So yeah, high level felony. So yeah, you you basically don't own your lamp anymore. Philips gets to decide what you can do with your lamp, and uh, Corey's. Um, Corey's assertion is that we are basically being returned to a feudal state. Oh, yeah. That in feudalism, property was exclusively in the realm of the nobility, the privileged few, and everyone else was simply tenants on that property. And uh, that that they're trying to do the same thing because it is profitable as hell to be able to continue to own a thing after you have sold it oh, to and, someone. And it, it sounds it sounds cute on a lamp, but when it's your car and when it's your livelihood and when it's you know something important, it, mm-hmm. it gets a lot scarier. Mm-hmm. When it's something that you depend on for something, yeah. yeah. And so uh, this this was one of the things that filled me with hope when the Supreme Court uphold upheld that uh, you could flip the bit on the printer cartridge which is not the same as the drm on something but it's a step yeah we're getting there and it looks like the fight is not hopeless it hasn't been lost yet anyway the idea of there was i think when they pitched the xbox one several years ago they were talking about how when you put a game oh, when, you, when you bought a game it would like you know basically be remembered on your system mm-hmm. and then subsequently be useless to any other system and and then playstation came out and was like we're not doing that shit. That's insane. And then Xbox is like, oh, well, fuck. We're not doing that either. Just kidding. Um, Thank God. And so, well, yeah. But then, I mean, it's hard. When you raise the book example, the idea that someone would ever try and push that, like, you know, it would be against the law for me to lend a book to a friend. Right. But it's the exact same thing that it sounds, maybe it's just because I'm inculcated with, like, the idea that software is somehow magic. But certainly I shouldn't be allowed to, like, make money off of it. I shouldn't be allowed to, like, maybe turn a profit because that sounds... I mean, well... You shouldn't be able to, like, make thousands of copies of the game that just dropped and send it out to everyone. Right. But, I mean, the idea that, like, I couldn't make money, that's just, like, the market. Like, if I bought 60 copies, didn't put any in the in a car, in a console or whatever, and, like, just, you know, bought all the copies at Best Buy. Like, people buy with new consoles drop. They'll buy all as many as they can and sell them online for four times markup. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me. Like, that doesn't even violate any DRM nonsense, but that's just... uh you know, that's different. That's that's a side. Yeah, for commercial use is usually pretty pretty fairly defined in most most copyright cases. Like there's a pretty sharp line where it is for commercial and for personal use. Sure. I just thought it was interesting. I guess the what I'm getting at is the book thing raised an in, interesting intuition. Like imagine I don't know some weird ebook that you know you had to unlock your Kindle with your thumbprint and you could only read the book once. Mm-hmm. Like so you, you couldn't even like like you said give it to your kids. I mean they tried that. <laughs> I'm not well, kidding. And like, well, it was what I'm what I'm liking about this too is that there is a a market pushback when it gets severe enough. Yeah. Right. So like nobody good. nobody would have bought an Xbox One if that was going to be the thing, right? Oh, yeah, oh I, no, they would have still bought the Xbox One. I'd well, let me rephrase that. The, fewer people would have. I wouldn't have bought one, so they'd I'd have lost at least one bet. customer. We're just not there yet. I'd be willing to bet by next generation console that'll be standard. Yeah. And no one will notice because there won't be competition. It'll just be the way it is. 
Hmm. It's been slowly slipping that way forever. You, you own everything through Steam now, right? Well, Steam can just go, nope, at any time, right? You don't own those games. You don't even, you don't even own them as much as when the original publisher owned them. You own less of them now. And it's everything just slides that way. It's the most profitable way to do it. So maybe the Supreme Court decision here will help protect us a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's... And at least, and as heinous as those are, you can only play your game once and you can only play it during the right time and you can only play it while drinking Mountain Dew. <laughs> that's at least I can almost buy that as something that deserves to be under copyright, right? It's a work, it's a, it's a work of art. It's a, it's something that needs to be, that is easily replicatable, but still has to profit the original artist. At least I can, as bad as it is, I can buy it. Mm -hmm. uh, not so much about my light bulbs and my changing my oil and, you know, all, all the other, you know, refilling my printer ink. We're, That's we're where on, it's just madness. We're on microphones right now. We couldn't make the podcast without them. And what if they want to turn off our microphones? Or Your 30-day trial period for the use of this microphone has expired. To eliminate this message, please go online to register for your monthly subscription to unlock all product features. They want to turn off our microphones or, or say, yeah, we can what if only... they need a, a month licensing fee exactly. for your recording software, which if there wasn't an open source project, you probably would be paying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't want to have to pay licensing fee for the cable that connects the fucking microphone to the goddamn <laughs> yeah. mixer. My, oh, I bring just this thing when like, you know, complex society destroying things crop up that it's just like, yep, that sucks. Strope, super AI comes around before then. Cause yeah, like uh, on you know, the list of like problems, this is like number 18. Like, well, now it is. Yeah. But it could quickly could could quickly climb, right? Like I'm a super big fan and big advocate of this type of stuff, and I'd still probably rank it barely in the top five issues we have right now. <laughs> top five barely is top important. five, and it might but be barely but like, top five. I mean, Maybe I, think, top 10. I think laying the groundwork for feudalism, where we are just the the things that run, you know, mega corporations as these non-human entities that sort of grow and take over the globe, is is. A worrisome thing. Oh yeah, and that's and like AI could be put in the service of these new entities, which are not humans, and that we just kind of work as the cellular automata that make them up. And that's outside the scope of copyright law. That gets into, I mean, I, we talked about it last time, but just all of Facebook, Google, monstrous social networks, which massively adjust what you see and what other people see you say. Yeah. Like that's as bad as it gets <laughs> so far. And and all this kind of goes in, yeah. So, anyways, that was the only listener feedback, which was from me, I guess. <laughs> because, uh, update feedback. Yeah, update yeah. feedback, yeah. Sure. Because uh, we have recorded this episode just one week after the last one, so we haven't gotten new feedback yet. Uh, before we go, we would like to thank our Patreon supporter, Pavel Paltsev, who has helped make this episode possible and brought it to all of you. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's, it is the kind of thing that, you know, makes this possible. I don't, I don't know how to reiterate it. I want I want to enthusiastically agree without just repeating what you said, but <laughs> I can't do that. So thank you. Awesome. Uh, if you want to leave any feedback, you can email us at BayesianConspiracyPodcast at gmail.com or leave comments at our website, TheBayesianConspiracy.com or at the subreddit slash r slash TheBayesianConspiracy. Uh, Chase, did you want to say anything or plug anything before you go? Nope. Okay. <laughs> you can also leave a like or review on iTunes, force yes. a friend to listen to it in the car, or, you know, quietly, since he doesn't have a website or anything, just be thankful that uh, Kyle Moore makes our episodes sound bearable. So thank you, Kyle. Kyle's the best. All right. See y'all in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.